You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey, it's Vadim, and wow, it's been a minute. This episode is all about compression. Not all about compression, but it's about specifically compressing your individual tracks in a way that will make your mixes come together more quickly, more easily, more pleasantly. But first, a comment on the long hiatus here. It has been a minute, friends, as I've said. I think a few months since our last episode, and it's just we've we've been super busy with various ventures, and it's become harder for us to find time for producing these episodes. And the thing is, we also consume a lot of content in this sphere. You know, we follow recording technology. We listen to podcasts ourselves. We watch YouTube videos ourselves, as you would imagine. So we know what good looks like in this sphere, you you know, strong communities and consistent content. And uh, after some discussion, we've decided to release a few more episodes, and then stop producing additional episodes for the indefinite future. Sad, I know. Um, This also means that we will be disbanding or deactivating, de-membering, that doesn't sound right, the, uh, the Facebook group. And this is not an easy decision. We've thought about this for some time. And the truth is, I feel guilty uh, for not putting out more episodes of this podcast. And um, as with everything else, you just have to prioritize the things that we want to focus on. Unfortunately, right now, this podcast is going to be taking a back seat. But uh, I will continue accepting coaching students. And there's kind of two ways this looks. You can either book an hour through the link in the show notes or uh, the link on the website. And that's kind of a free form, ask anything you want. We can we can focus on whatever you want to focus on. For example, right now I have a student who wants to learn Pro Tools and so he books an hour here or there. And we talk about Pro Tools, do screen shares and just um, talk about whatever he wants to talk about. The second option is a kind of a producing mixing course that not a course actually it's kind of a a customized course if you will Uh, so most online education looks like a series of videos right you buy a a bunch of videos you watch somebody work and then you can download the stems and and do a mix yourself or something like that Um, but what if you could learn on your song in your DAW right it's gonna be kind of a a cooler prospect here using plugins you, you know you already own. So if you're interested in that, we do have a bit of a program laid out for what that would look like, how much it would cost, and um, if you're interested in that right now, just email me or uh, check the show notes. It's probably the best way right now to uh, to get a handle on that. I'm going to continue coaching because it's something I I really enjoy. I still very much enjoy talking about recording technology and. Uh, production. So that's not going away. All right. So let's get into our compression episode. This is a solo episode. Ben is not joining me today. 
So there's three main reasons to compress. Um, but as we go through this, just keep in mind that most tutorials you'll see on like YouTube or something like that will focus solely on the third reason to compress because it's kind of the sexiest and most fun to talk about and also it sells the most plugins. Uh, but there's actually three reasons and the first two are actually much more important and much more impactful to the quality of the result. So the first reason to, oh yeah, one more thing before we, we dive in is that most tracks that I hear that are, are DIY produced actually suffer from under compression of the individual stems, believe it or not. I know it's like everybody's always warning us not to over compress. Don't squash the life out of your tracks, you know, keep the dynamics in there, keep the transients in there. Uh, but, and certainly that is possible, but I think at least lately, most tracks I've been hearing actually suffer from under compression, not over compression. And I remember when I first started out, compression was something that was very confusing for one thing, because it's hard to hear when you're first starting out. And for another thing, for this reason of why, why do we compress? I remember putting compressors on things just because that's what it seemed like you should do. That's what the pros did, apparently. And and there's actually something to be said for that, as you'll see in this episode. So the first reason to compress your individual tracks has to do with really the whole reason why compressor the compressor was invented, which is basically to keep yourself from having to constantly adjust a fader, right? Faders adjust volume of your track or whatever's being routed to that fader. It's a, like a volume slider. And what we're talking about here is really balance. There's volume balance between the tracks. So try this process for achieving what's called a static mix, which is where you're just, you're getting a balance of the faders that more or less works for the song. So you can do this by pulling all of your faders in your DAW all the way down so that when you press play, nothing is playing, all right? Get a piece of paper and a pencil or just do this in your head, but think about what are the three main elements of the song? So like in a pop song, it might be the kick, the snare, and the vocal track. For rock, it might be the kick, the bass guitar and the guitar or whatever you think are the, the most important elements. Now set your DAW, set your session so that it will loop the entire track or, you know, at least a section of the track. So maybe like a verse, chorus, bridge section, but an extended section of the track that will play and then repeat and, and play that same section again. Now press play and start pulling up your faders in whatever order you choose. But I would recommend starting with the most important tracks. So whatever you identified as those most important elements, bring those up first. So very commonly people like to start with the kick. I still like to start with the kick because I like to establish my balance around that element. So I usually will pull up uh, my kick fader until it's peaking the master meter. So just the, the output of the DAW is peaking somewhere around minus 12 decibels. And now start bringing up the other elements. So now fade up your snare so that it's balanced with the kick. Maybe bring up your overheads on your drum. Maybe bring up the rooms. And start bringing these elements in one by one as the song is playing. Don't press stop. Just let it keep playing. Eventually it will loop. 
So keep bringing in all of these other elements until you think you have a balance. So try to get all of the faders somewhere here. This is your goal. By the end of the section or by the end of the song, you want your faders somewhere other than all the way down. Now, when the song loops, pretend you are mixing a live show. Pretend you're a front of house engineer at a live show and just start playing with the faders. You know, you think, oh, I need a little bit more guitar here. Pull that fader up and just move around and, and let that song play through again. But as you're doing this in the back of your head, pay attention to which faders you have to keep adjusting. Maybe there's a fader you have to touch more than once. Oh, the guitar, I pulled it up. Now in the section, I have to pull that down. That is a flag that the, the track you have to keep adjusting the fader on may benefit from compression. So you can think of that as like a fader ride, right? Rather than sitting there and constantly adjusting that fader, you can apply a bit of compression. So this task, you can again, we call it balance, or we can call it leveling. Um, and for this task, we really want to use a transparent compressor. And I would just recommend using whatever stock compressor comes with your DAW. And what you really want to do is get into the habit of, for this task, picking pretty much the same compressor every time, right? So that you become comfortable with the controls on it. You know where the attack is, you know where the release is, whatever all these compressor controls are, you can reach for them comfortably. And you, anytime you want to level something, this is the compressor you will reach for. So I, I actually like uh, Waves R Comp for this because I just have that uh, Waves Renaissance bundle and that's a very, very simple interface. Uh, but I uh, also use stock compressors in Reaper, which I've just switched to Reaper a few months back, and we're going to do an episode on that in a bit here. But Reaper stock compressor is called Recomp. It's fine. Pro Tools stock compressor is fine. The Logic stock compressor is great. Again, recommend just going with something that's transparent and going to get the job done. Don't overthink this, right? Just have a go-to compressor where every time you recognize the need for leveling, this is what you go to. All right, the second reason, which is a bit more difficult to understand, is something like resolution or headroom or dynamic range. And so I have a kind of a, a goofy analogy for this. Pretend you're at a movie theater or you're watching some kind of big Marvel circus that's come out recently. And let's say the Hulk has just leapt from one building uh, into a helicopter or something like that. And it's awesome, right? You think about all of those little pixels and points of light on every inch of that big screen. And we can call that the resolution, right? And commonly, you know this with computer monitors, there's a DPI or dots per inch. That's the resolution of the screen. Uh, now, if you were watching that same scene on, let's say, tiny screen on like a United Airlines jet or something, right? If you kept that same resolution or those same dimensions, well, maybe only Hulk's presumably green nipple would fit onto the screen, right? You wouldn't be able to see anything else because the screen is just not big enough to support that kind of resolution at those dimensions. So it wouldn't work, right? To fit the contents of that scene onto the screen, we need to quote unquote, compress the image, we need to make it smaller so that it works for the screen we are watching it on. 
this is a bit of a flawed analogy because obviously we're mixing dimensions of the screen here with resolution, but I think the, the concept is is sound if you think about it from the standpoint of um, basically being limited in audio. When we listen to a sound that's been recorded, we are limited in a way that a sound in the real world may not be limited. Uh, in effect, in a recording, we have a smaller container that we have to fit everything into. And in fact, I recently had this experience at uh, a live show that was out doors and it was a small show i was listening to an acoustic drum kit and i was thinking to myself like how would i mix this it, there was really no mics on the drum kit it was just the sound of the drum kit because it was a it was an intimate setting but i was just thinking in my head like what would i do with this drum kit and i was listening to the snare and i realized that i really wouldn't do much to it it, it already kind of sounded great without any compression on it Right, just in the real world, I could hear the crack of the snare, I could hear the body of the snare, and it really sounded very nice. So, kind of everything I wanted about a snare was already there, I didn't have to do anything to it, which is interesting because if we know if I recorded that same snare, it would not sound that good. And, and there's a couple of reasons why. If I put a close microphone, uh, next to that snare, let's say, I would have to adjust my levels of my preamp so that the initial stick attack, that big spiky transient, didn't peak the meters or didn't clip. And so I'd have to I have to turn my preamp level down basically to accommodate that peak. Now on playback, that's mostly what I would hear in my small container is that big spiky stick attack. So you know the question is where's the rest of it, right? Where's that? wooden shell where's the sustain where's the rattle of the snares or little ghost notes right what well, and and the thing is they're all there if with our 24-bit digital recording all of that stuff is there we just can't hear it because in our container we've had to shrink the snare to accommodate that transient so it's there we have to bring it up it's too quiet we need to bring up the level of all that other stuff on the sustain of the snare relative to the peak and compression is how we do that and this is our second reason to to compress is to adjust for the resolution to bring up the really quiet parts of the signal so that that snare is now more like a snare we would hear in the real world so the way to address this one way to address this if you want to start playing around with it is before you even start mixing you can go through each of your tracks and play with applying maybe between three to six decibels of gain reduction of compression to just about every track and again i know this is kind of like backwards because people say well you know why are you compressing that but i'm telling you to just try this maybe you'll over compress something but i guarantee you'll you'll learn a lot when you start mixing this you'll you'll probably find that your tracks mix together much more smoothly with just that little bit three to six db gain reduction of compression and um you know work with slow attack times for percussive sound so if you have something like a drum a slow attack time will still allow a little bit of that transient to come through, which is still going to give you that spiky punchiness that we want. For non-percussive sounds, use a fast attack time. 
and just see what happens. You know, three to six dB gain reduction of compression on each track. When you start mixing, see how it feels. See how much easier things fit together. All right, the third reason to compress is the one that gets kind of the most attention, even though it's the least important of the three. And the reason boils down to effectively saturation or harmonics. And this is the idea that by processing our audio, we can create additional harmonic content. So picture uh, distortion pedal, right, on a guitar. Like you play a clean guitar, it sounds like a guitar. You apply distortion, things start to change and start to get maybe thicker, right? There's more harmonic content in that sound. Well, a compressor, a compressor does effectively the same thing, or some compressors do anyway, but they do it uh, to a lesser extent. So it's not something that is as drastic as, say, a distortion pedal on a guitar, but it does add a couple of things. One, a little bit of saturation adds density, as I said, so it can make things seem bigger. It can also make things louder without having to... Um, turn them up or compress them further. It's an interesting way to make things louder. It can also add, you know, kind of a color to it, which is to say that it can, the, the harmonic content that's added can add information in different parts of the audible spectrum to push different aspects of the sound. And in some cases it can even add to this, um, like resolution or, or clarity. If you know, those, those old <laughs> scenes in movies where they, the guy sitting at a computer and Somebody's telling him to enhance the audio image, and he says, "Enhance, enhance, right?" And it's getting clearer and clearer. That sometimes saturation can do that as well. And so, how does this happen? Well, effectively, uh, the old compressor circuits that were in the analog domain—we talk about this all the time—they have character or color just by through the course of the analog circuitry that's in them, whether it be at a, you know, a tube or a transistor circuit or an optical circuit, all these things change the sound and can accentuate certain frequencies. And of course, now with plugins, we are emulating those characteristics. So how to use this concept? Well, on top of the compression, we've already added. So we, if you're paying attention, we kind of did them backwards, but the reason number two was to make our sound work with our uh, the resolution of our listening environment. So this is where we add three to six gain uh, dB gain reduction to each track. And then the other thing is in the course of our static mix, if we have to keep adjusting faders, we may uh, adjust some transparent compression there. Well, now on top of the compression we've already added there, we can try a bit of additional compression with something like a quote unquote colorful compressor. And some of the famous ones you know about are like the LA-2A, the 1176, Shadow Hills Mastering Compressor, the SSL Bus Compressor. These are like some of the most emulated compressors available in uh, in plugins. Now, in this case, we're not compressing anymore for level or for dynamic range, right? Reasons one and two. We're really compressing just to get the saturation effects. And now, because you've stuck with me so far, I'll give you some hints of things that I uh, tend to use and how they appear to my ear. And by the way, the way, the, the way I got to this point is through doing shootouts, right? So I'll pull up a vocal track and I'll try five different compressors on it. And then I close my eyes and listen to them very carefully. And then I take notes and try to remember what does what. So to my ear, 
the 1176 black compressor, which there's, there's usually two, there's like a black one and a blue one. The black one tends to add energy in the 900 to one kilohertz mid range. So that's kind of a, a great frequency to push things to the front of the mix. So it's great on, uh, on percussive elements and uh, anything you want to pull forward in the mix. That bit of saturation from the 1176 black compressor will, um, will get you there. And it's great on vocals if the vocals are already very kind of spitty and bright. So if the vocals are very bright, but I still want to have them to have an aggressive sound, a lot of times that's a nice choice is the 1176 black compressor. The 1176 blue compressor to my ear adds energy more in the five kilohertz region. So that's kind of a presence region. So think of it as a way to make things brighter. And again, it's a subtle effect, but it does add a little bit of shimmer to a vocal track that's already pretty much locked in. A couple dB gain reduction with the 1176 blue will kind of brighten it and pull it forward, giving it some presence and some sizzle. It can be too much, though, I find, on vocals that are already very bright or sibilant. Uh, that blue compressor will sometimes be too much of uh, too much presence. The LA-2A behaves to my ear like a tube preamp almost, where it, it kind of adds energy to the low mid, so around 500 hertz. And that's a great frequency range to add thickness to something. Like if something sounds a little bit thin, like an acoustic guitar sounds thin or bass sounds a bit thin, or even a vocal track, uh, that can be a nice compressor to thicken it up a little bit. And in fact, a lot of times you'll see people using the LA-2A with the 1176 in series, one to add that some of that thickness and another one to add some of that brightness and aggressive energy. Uh, then finally, my favorite bus compressor, the SSL bus compressor, I've always loved. I actually have an analog one. It pulls everything in the mid-range forward. And this is, to my ear, this is the great sound. I keep saying to my ear, but it really is subjective in a lot of in a lot of cases. And I'll actually, along that line, I've, I've tried to measure this, right? So these things that I hear, I was like, I wonder if I could see this on like a, you know, a spectrum analyzer. And, and a lot of times I can't. I can't see what I'm talking about. But just over time, I keep hearing the same thing, which is why I'm, not, I'm never really sure that what I'm hearing is absolutely correct, but this is how I'm hearing it. So yeah, that to my ear, that SSL bus compressor is the sound of great rock records where everything is just full of energy and excitement and like right in your face. To me, that SSL bus compressor is how you get that. It's very popular on drums. And also I, I run my whole mix through an SSL bus compressor. And I just, I just love really for this reason, for the saturation reason and that uh, mid range kind of pull forward effect. I'm not really rely, relying on it too much for the, um, for the compression element of like uh, leveling, although a little bit I am, but mostly it's to get that like energetic push. So one thing that's also great, even though these, these classic compressors I just talked about have been emulated to death uh, the great thing about them is that they often have very simple interfaces. Like if you've ever seen an LA-2A interface, it's got two knobs on it, right? It's got kind of a gain knob and I think a gain reduction knob. So you basically just turn that gain reduction knob to get more compression or less compression. And then you, 
use the gain knob for your makeup gain. So if you've lost a lot of level, you can kind of boost it a little bit. Super simple, right? You don't have to worry about attack or release or anything like that. Um, and that is kind of an advantage of some of these classic compressors because some of the modern stuff that's just coded digital can be very complicated and can be very intimidating. So even though these classic compressors, like I said, have been kind of used and overused to death, uh, they are nice to start with because they're so easy to control. One thing to remember as a caution though, is that you are adding with these colorful compressors, you are adding frequency content. So if you pile an LA-2A, for example, onto all of your tracks, well, you're adding that 500 Hertz energy to everything, right? To all of the tracks and things can start to get a bit muddy because you're, you're getting a buildup in that frequency range. And this is the type of thing that's difficult to even correct with EQ. So instead of that, try to be conscious of using different color compressors on different mix elements. So maybe some things you're using the 1176 black for, some things you're using the blue for. It's going to push different parts of the frequency spectrum and get you a nice, well-rounded result that's exciting kind of across the frequency spectrum. All right, so that's my quick tips for you on compression. Again, we went through three reasons to compress your tracks. The two most important being level control and the dynamic range control or kind of a resolution control, which is where we can take something that was very dynamically recorded, like with a close mic, and we can bring up the quiet parts of that signal so that all of that detail is not lost we have all of it the way we would have it listening live in a room. So again, the way I would recommend going about this is before you start your mix, apply some compression to each of your tracks. Call it pick one, pick an LA-2A or 1176, apply three to six decibels of gain reduction to each track. As I said, you might overdo it, that's fine. Overdo it and then you'll learn something, but just give it a shot. Then loop a part of your song either the whole song or just a verse chorus section and pull all your faders down and now start bringing them up one by one so that they're in balance with each other. Pay attention to which faders you have to constantly adjust, apply transparent compression to those tracks to help with that level control. And then finally, you can use some colorful compression at the end to just bring out some additional energy and excitement in various parts of the frequency spectrum. Give it a shot. Let me know what you think. And until next time, this is Vadim reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Mm -hmm.